0: Hello and welcome to the as a woman podcast today is one of my favorite episodes this is where I am answering some of your questions that you have called and left on the voicemail I love being able to connect with you guys I can't believe we are on our fifth year of this podcast and who knew there was so much content to cover I mean seriously I love educating you and talking about your body and your fertility and I'm just so thankful for every one of you A few things before we get started. If you would like to call and leave your own voicemail, I do these episodes every quarter or so where we will go through and answer your questions. And I absolutely love hearing from you. So call the voicemail 657 229 3672. Again, that is 657 229 3672. Also, Fertility in the News, which is a segment I have loved doing, has now been transitioned to the weekly newsletter. So if you would like to sign up, it's nataliecrawfordmd.com newsletter. You'll get updates, recipes, my favorites. I'll be answering questions there, and we are covering a news topic every week. So follow along. All right, friends. Well, without further ado, let's dive in to your questions.
1: Hi, uh, Natalie. I had a quick question. I have asked a couple of doctors about whether or not chlamydia might cause any sort of fertility issues. And in my experience, i found a lot of doctors have sort of downplayed whether or not there's actually a chance of blocked fallopian tubes. And I've watched a number of your videos, and I know that you've really stressed that as a potential cause, um, a high-risk thing that you should consider. And I was wondering if you had any background on why Certain doctors might not think that that's the case. And I guess what, what the real facts is. Thank you for all you do. Bye.
0: All right. This is a great question. And I'm not sure why anybody would downplay this, to be honest. Number one, chlamydia has an extremely high prevalence. There are typically over 130 million annual infections worldwide. It impacts women much more than men because of how our genital tract, the anatomy of it. And to make matters worse, and probably why a lot of chlamydia is really problematic, is up to 70% of infections are asymptomatic. Therefore, the infection is brewing and causing inflammatory damage such as scarring without you ever potentially knowing. So the consequences of chlamydia can be pelvic inflammatory disease, which is where a lower genital tract infection, think cervical infection, vaginal infection, migrates through the uterus, and infects the uterus and fallopian tubes. You can then also have, obviously, tubal factor infertility when those tubes get scarred, or ectopic pregnancy because of the scarred tubes. So that is really bad because if you don't have raging symptoms, you have to rely on people getting screened just because they are at risk. And people are not always very good at this, especially the younger demographic, which tends to be exposed to chlamydia more. This is why using condoms and protecting yourself is so important. Now, does everybody who gets chlamydia develop tubal disease? No, absolutely not. However, Of people who come to my clinic with infertility and have tubal disease is the vast majority from chlamydia, yes. Of people with a blocked fallopian tube on HSG testing, studies have shown that almost 80% of those are due to a chlamydia infection. So if you ask what's the top cause of having tubal factor infertility, let's remember tubal disease means you've got to do IVF to get pregnant. Okay, you have to. It's going to be chlamydia endometriosis is going to be another top cause but if you are not getting pregnant and you have a history of chlamydia infection my ears are perking up that potentially you have tubal factor that's not been diagnosed of all the people who get chlamydia probably only about six percent will develop tubal factor infertility right your fallopian tubes get so damaged they get scarred so does everybody who get chlamydia has infertility no Of people who have tubal factor infertility is the top cause, chlamydia, yes. Can you prevent yourself from getting a chlamydia infection? You can. So when we look at the world of infertility and there is so little that we can do to prevent you from coming into my office, trying to prevent you from getting a chlamydia infection, which potentially has severe outcomes, right? IVF is quite drastic. You want to protect yourself. And one final point, the younger you are when you have the infection, the increased likelihood it is that it causes infertility. That's probably due to just social factors like not getting screened or treated or knowing what is normal or not. But again, it really stresses the importance of trying to protect yourself. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that 97% of women aged 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet? Ritual is essential for women 18 and plus was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% in a clinical study. I love Ritual and I love taking their Essential for Women 18 Plus every single day. One reason I love it is that it's gentle on an empty stomach and it has a minty essence, so every bottle feels refreshing and is actually enjoyable. It's also clinically backed multivitamin with high quality and traceable key ingredients and they have industry-leading sustainability standards. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 and Over as a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com A-A-W for 25% off. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Caraway. Spring is coming and I always love a good home reset. Non toxic cookware is the perfect way for you to kick off your own spring cleaning. With so many collections to explore, there is a Caraway for every cook. Their internet famous kitchenware is a staple for any home. It comes with beautiful shades to fit your aesthetic, but most importantly, you're ditching the chemicals. Caraway's non toxic kitchenware. Comes a chemical-free ceramic coating, so your food can be prepared without any of those hard-to-pronounce chemicals leaching in to your healthy ingredients. Everybody knows that I am a big believer that our environment impacts our body, and that's why I trust Caraway with my cooking. Visit CarawayHome.com/AAW to take advantage of this limited-time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for our listeners. So, visit carawayhome.com slash AAW or use the code AAW at checkout. Caraway non toxic cookware made modern. All right, moving on to the next question.
1: Hi, Dr. Crawford. My name is Samantha, and I wanted to know is it a good idea to use pre seed lubricant when trying to conceive naturally? Um, I've read mixed information online. Some saying it's better to use no but at all, but or pre seed can help. The reason I ask is because I don't seem to have a large amount of cervical fluid near my ovulation and fertile days. Um, and I'm wondering if you can help with getting pregnant and your thoughts on it. So, um, and also I love your podcast it really is so empowering to learn about our bodies. So thank you so much for all that you do. And thank you for your podcast.
0: Friends, Preseed has done a fantastic job at marketing themselves. And we just have to admit that that is true. So Preseed says fertility friendly and there's some ads that might make you think that it improves your fertility. Well, that's not the case, okay, but it's not necessarily bad. So let's just think about this. Using no lubricant is going to be the best. I am asking the sperm to swim out of an ejaculate, which is a thick gooey substance, which is alkaline in pH to protect it from the acidity of the vagina in order to allow it to get into the cervix and therefore swim up to the fallopian tubes where fertilization happens. Having no extra barriers, absolutely the best. However, you need to be able to have intercourse in order to get pregnant. And if you have discomfort with intercourse, if things are dry and that causes you to be painful and therefore you're not having intercourse as much, absolutely, that can be a barrier. So if you need lubricant to have sex, go ahead and get lubricant. And if you're going to get lubricant, we do like water-based lubricants over all your oil-based ones, and saliva is bad. So pre-seed is a good choice if you need lubricant. It is a water-based lubricant, and it has a pH that's very close to sperm or the alkaline nature of the ejaculate. does not have the same pH as the vagina. Remember, the vagina is acidic, so the normal pH there is three to five, And the normal pH of the ejaculate is going to be closer to seven to seven and a half. And pre-seed matches that. So it is meant to not be an extra barrier for sperm to swim through, but it's still extra stuff for sperm to swim through. So if you can get away with nothing, that is best. But if you need something, water-based lubricants like pre-seed can very much help you. Please stay away from oil-based lubricants, things like KY jelly, things like coconut oil, mineral oil. I do not prefer those and please stay away from saliva because the pH of the mouth is very different.
1: Hi Dr. Crawford. I was hoping that you could talk a little bit about the corpus luteum. I know you talk about it in a lot of your videos as far as being part of the ovulation process during the luteal phase, but I'm curious for those of us doing fertility treatments like myself where I took letrozole and tried to basically induce a super ovulation. You know, I had several good follicles at my check and was curious if all of those eggs were to rupture. Do all three of those follicles reform and create a corpus luteum? Or is there a dominant follicle that ends up taking on that role to release progesterone? Anyway, just curious if you could talk a little bit
2: about that. Thanks.
0: Bye. Y'all, I love the corpus luteum. Love it. You're speaking my love language. So as you already stated, but just to bring everybody up to the same page... When we ovulate, what happens is you have an egg growing inside a follicle. Follicle Follicle-stimulating hormone from the brain stimulates that follicle to grow. As it grows, the egg inside matures. As that egg matures, it makes estrogen. That estrogen then grows the lining of the uterus, but also triggers the brain to say, hey, we have a mature egg here once the estrogen has been high enough for 50 hours. That allows the brain to send out a single a very high peak of LH. And this allows that follicle to rupture. So it's a cyst and it bursts and the egg is released. The cyst, the follicle reforms and now becomes a corpus luteum. And this is the luteal phase of your cycle. The corpus luteum is what makes progesterone. Nothing else makes progesterone. So the brain then is stimulating that corpus luteum to make progesterone with pulses Of LH. So you get that one peak that allows you to ovulate. This starts the luteal phase, and then LH is released in pulses, and subsequently, progesterone is released in pulses the entire luteal phase. So that means your progesterone is going to rise and fall anywhere from 3 to 40 nanograms throughout this entire time. There's no level that's deemed to be appropriate because it's going to be very time sensitive on when you checked it in relation to an LH pulse from the brain. That being said, If you get pregnant, HCG comes in from the pregnancy and now can stimulate that corpus luteum to make constant and increased progesterone. This is essential until the placenta can make progesterone. So the things that make progesterone, corpus luteum when you're not pregnant, and then the placenta and the corpus luteum when you are. Corpus luteum up until about nine weeks where the placenta takes over completely. The corpus luteum in the absence of a pregnancy can only live for about two weeks, meaning it just cannot make any more progesterone based on LH pulses from the brain. It dies, progesterone drops, you get a period, cycle repeats itself. When you ovulate more than one follicle, yes, you are going to make multiple corpus lutei, so now you're going to have even more progesterone production. And sometimes this is our thought process when we're talking about luteal phase defect. Remember, I think that luteal phase defect, having a short luteal phase or spotting is a reflection of a poor corpus luteum, which is on the spectrum of ovulatory dysfunction meaning you're ovulating but maybe that follicle is not getting to its best size therefore it is not functioning as a really good corpus luteum and if I can turn around and make you ovulate a bigger more mature better follicle or more of them I'm now going to have better corpus luteum or more progesterone made so yes This is also why in certain cycles, we purposefully will stimulate somebody and then we have all these corpus luteum. Importantly, if you're doing a fresh IVF cycle, which is becoming more and more rare, but in a fresh IVF cycle, we destroy some of these cells because we put a needle into the follicles to grab the eggs out at the egg retrieval. When we do this, the destruction of some of these cells will result in potentially a lowering of progesterone production when they try to become corpus luteum, and you definitely need to supplement progesterone. In contrast, if you're doing a natural cycle embryo transfer, which is where you have a frozen embryo, but you're allowing the body to ovulate naturally and get to the perfect time for implantation, you're going to grow a follicle, ovulate Make natural progesterone from your corpus luteum and you can put an embryo inside even without any supplementation. Most of us do actually supplement with some progesterone because we are controlling it is so important and why take the risk, but it's not incorrect to not do so
1: there, Natalie. I'm a huge fan of your podcast. So, I noticed that when I, I get these globs of egg white cervical mucus sometimes, when my LH strips are still reading low, by the time I get a rise or surge and eventually a peak, that egg white cervical mucus seems to become a little bit more scant. It moves toward more of a creamy after ovulating, um, but each month is a little bit different. My question is, is it best to try and conceive at the first sight of the egg white cervical mucus i rely on the opk test strips or a little bit of both sometimes it's just not ideal for us to try to conceive multiple days in a row so if i have to kind of prioritize those days just curious what your thoughts are on that thank you so much
0: all right this is a really good question and if we think back about cervical mucus and opks really quickly and then i'll answer it the cervical mucus is changing in relation to estrogen Right, and as we just said, estrogen is rising in an increasing fashion as you are getting closer to ovulation and we know that cervical mucus can help you get pregnant because there was a study done looking at people trying to get pregnant and those who monitored their cervical mucus versus people who didn't track at all had higher chances of getting pregnant remember again that all methods of fertility awareness have been equal and better than nothing so whether that's cervical mucus opks bbt whatever your choice is the hard thing about cervical mucus is that a lot of things can impact it so What is normal is that that fertile mucus is egg white, stretchy, and slippery. And when it gets thicker and stickier or creamier, that is going to be your less fertile mucus. So not everybody has it right before ovulation. Sometimes you actually have to put your fingers inside and pull it out to really check for sure because you want to see what mucus is by the cervix, not necessarily what is coming out. But the other thing that's hard is... There's also a lot of a water component to cervical mucus and so certain medications or health problems or how you take care of yourself can change your cervical mucus. So a few of them might be one, of course, if you're on any type of hormones that have estrogen in them or progesterone, that's going to throw things off. So you do not use this if you have an IUD or you're on any type of fertility treatment or pills, it's going to throw things off. If you're overweight, Fat cells actually make some estrogen and this can change your mucus so that it might look more fertile earlier than it actually is. Sexually transmitted infections like chlamydia or gonorrhea can change your cervical mucus. So can non-sexual infections just like bacterial vaginosis or a yeast infection. And then certain things that also change your hormone levels like PCOS, right? PCOS is a condition where you tend to have a little bit higher baseline level of estrogen. Patients with PCOS might have more days of fertile mucus and that can make it really hard to target. And then do not be cleaning, right? If you are douching or cleaning inside, that can disrupt the normal production of cervical mucus. And then we also have things like stress, diet, dehydration, potentially other chronic medications you could be on, having prior surgery on your cervix, like a cone or a leap for an abnormal pap smear or breastfeeding or using any type of lubricants or even other hormonal diseases like high prolactin or thyroid can interfere with cervical mucus. So it is not perfect. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Rocket Money. Did you know that nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about? Embarrassingly, I am one of those as well. And Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you that otherwise could have been a time-consuming process. Between streaming services, fitness apps, and delivery services, it can be never-ending So Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. They monitor your spending and help you lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash A-A-W. That's rocketmoney.com slash A-A-W. rocketmoney.com slash A-A-W. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. My closet has a tendency to get chaotic and crammed with a bunch of clothes that I don't really want to wear. What's been a game changer for me... Has been upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince. Now I have a wardrobe full of luxury and classic essentials, and I stayed on budget. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, and they do this by partnering directly with top factories, cutting out the middleman and passing the savings on to us. In addition, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing and premium products and finishes. I personally am loving the linen pieces as it's Texas and summer is upon us. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W.
2: Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on.
0: Day 14 is when you ovulate and you have a normal 28-day cycle. Right after your period ends, it should be very dry. Might be just yellow-tinged. Then as your estrogen starts rising, which is typically between days, you know, five six seven starting to get a little more damp and white days seven eight nine more like a yogurt a little bit wet and cloudy a bit creamy definitely not stretchy and then you're getting into that five day stretch where you're having your most fertile time and this is when you're having that raw egg white slippery wet think about it as slimy and easy for sperm to get through and then after ovulation it actually should change to be pretty dry and then understanding as we said so many things change this if you're going to target intercourse remember that the 5 days ending on the day of ovulation are going to be the most fertile days egg lives 24 hours sperm lives 5 days so it sounds like you're getting some of that stretchy stuff in the days leading up to ovulation which is okay right be that's from the high estrogen from the maturing egg so i would say maybe have sex one time in that window. So once the cervical mucus changes, that sperm will stay there for a period of days. And then when you get that positive LH, have intercourse that day as well. That way you're kind of covering your bases without having intercourse every single day. And it sounds like those are going to be approximately three to four days apart for you. Now, LH testing is not perfect either, so not the question you asked. But LH testing, LH surge does cause ovulation, but LH pulses throughout the entire luteal phase, as we said. So, detecting the moment of the first rise in LH is crucial in detecting ovulation time. And some people do not detect that first surge, they're actually detecting later. The reason why this is difficult is that LH is typically released from the brain in the early morning hours, but it is a hormone. Hormones are released into your blood. Do you check your Blood for LH? No, you're checking your urine. So that hormone has to get in your blood, be filtered through your kidneys, and result in your urine in high enough concentrations to get the test to turn positive. Things can impact this as well, meaning maybe you drank too much water and your urine is dilute. Maybe you're checking too early in the morning and the hormone hasn't gotten into your urine yet. And then when you check in the next morning, you're getting a positive surge, but it's actually from the day before. So These things are very, very common, and this is why OPKs can also be hard. I recommend if you're using ovulation predictor kits, you use them one time per day between 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. By that time, LH will be in the urine, and so this is going to help you from missing that morning surge potentially, and then if you get that positive surge in the midday, you know that's the day you're surging, you're going to ovulate the next day, Having intercourse on both of those days would be best, but either one of them would be sufficient. That way you know you're getting sperm there when egg is available to be fertilized.
1: Hi there, Natalie. I'm a huge fan of the podcast, so thank you for everything that you do. My question today, my husband and I have been trying to conceive for just three months going on the fourth actually this week. Um, my question is, my husband has recently heard on one of his podcasts that high-intensity sports can sometimes increase the temperature of the testes. My husband does jujitsu twice a week and wears a cup. He's recently stopped, but I was just curious if maybe that could be a reason for us not being successful in trying to concede, or I guess really any high-intensity sport or activity where you know their body heat is going to rise. And basically, if we were to try to conceive in the same day that he would have done this sport, could that negatively impact our chances? Thank you so much. And I look forward to hearing back.
0: All right. So sperm is very different than eggs. If we think about sperm, remember that the life cycle of a single sperm is approximately 90 days. So unlike ovaries in which A female is born with all the eggs she is ever going to have in her ovaries. They are exposed to the wear and tear of our life, and eventually we run out, and then we're in menopause. Testes, there's magic germ cells that make millions of new sperm every single day, and one day they decide to stop working, typically at a much later age, then women go into menopause. Now, sperm are very sensitive. Eggs are much stronger than sperm, and so the environment of which they are exposed to impacts how many are made, the shape of them, how they move, and how they function. And so sperm are made in the testes for approximately 72 days, and then it takes them about 18 days to get from testes into ejaculate, to go on their little journey. So that means... Something you do one single day and have intercourse that day is very unlikely to make any impact in your chance of getting pregnant from a sperm's sake. Something you do commonly or frequently or something that happened in the prior 90 days, maybe you had a COVID infection or got really sick on a big bender of a bachelor party, those things actually can impact sperm production, but then will resolve when that exposure is gone and you have sperm that have grown in a new environment. The testes are in the scrotum and outside the body for a reason. It's not just to look cool. I mean, it is specifically to keep them cool, right? Because the testes need to function at a lower temperature than the core temperature of the body. And we know this in men who have undescended testes and their testes stay inside their body. They actually fail and do not make hormones and sperm they have to be brought down out of that heat. Otherwise, it does destroy them. So that's important to understand. So we know that high temperatures decrease testicular metabolism results in sperm damage and causes essentially heat stress. But how much, how long does this last for, and what does this mean when it comes to exercise is a fabulous question. For the most part, studies have pretty consistently shown that regular exercise, whatever we call regular exercise, is really not associated with reductions in sperm concentration or motility. However, high-intensity exercise or certain types of exercise can. So even HIIT training for 40 minutes two times per week was associated with a 50% reduction in concentration and motility. When we look at specific activities, cycling, probably one of the top problematic ones, and there's a lot of reasons why, right? The scrotum is compressed. On the saddle, you have really tight clothing. That heat is not just from the exercise, but also the compression. And there's a level of intensity if you're doing it to a certain level and then also associated with other medications or things you might take and testicular trauma. But if we look at people who cycle more than five hours per week, we had significant reductions in sperm concentration and motility. And even those who cycle An hour and a half per week had lower concentrations than those who cycled none. So cycling, outdoor cycling specifically, is my least favorite. I usually tell my patients, hey, if you want a peloton for 30 minutes a day, that's probably okay. A few times per week, but you should not be going out for an hour or two hour long bike ride and expect it to have no impact on your sperm. Running also probably impacts sperm. Again, probably associated with the intensity, the distance, if you're training for a marathon or what is going on. People who ran marathons had negative associations with high intensity training and lowering sperm counts. Meaning if you ran a marathon and you did hit work, which most people do for part of their training, you had a higher chance of having a lower sperm count and a lower motility or normal sperm. Okay. But in these studies, sperm returned to normal when this level of training was not continued. So we are concerned about things like professional athletes. And I have patients who are our athletes, right? They're not going to return to normal. Like this is a lifestyle that they live. And so we have to say, hey, this is the sperm we have to work with. Of course, things like anabolic steroids or testosterone are hugely impactful on sperm as well. And some of those changes cannot be recovered. So anabolic steroids can cause what we call hypogonadism, destruction of the testicular tissue that may never be able to be fixed. You might not ever be able to make sperm again. So does exercise and the intensity and the length of training impact sperm concentrations? Yes. But being healthy is also good for sperm. And so, you know, regular exercise I usually say is good. So I tell people, hey, this may not be the time to train for the marathon, but you know, 30 minutes a day vary what you do. So it's not the Peloton bike or outdoor biking every single day, limit that to a couple days a week or running to a couple days a week, add in weights and other modalities to keep your body strong and healthy that's probably going to be the best plan and if you're concerned One, you can make a change, but two, you could also just get a semen analysis. So you can tell your OB you want one, you can schedule with a fertility clinic. Some fertility clinics will let you just call and make an appointment for a semen analysis, even without a referral. Or there's even online fertility testing sites for semen analyses. If you wanna do that route, you wanna look for one that's CLIA, C-L-I-A certified, then you know it's giving you really accurate results, but you can have that mailed to your house and send the sample off. So there are options if you're curious if the level of intensity or exercise that your partner is doing is impacting sperm. Let's get it checked.
1: Hi, Natalie. My name is Megan, and my husband was recently diagnosed with 0% motility and low sperm count. And we're still trying to find answers, seeing if it's a combination of his blood pressure medications. But everything I am finding basically says there's no hope of going increasing from zero. Uh, have you ever seen any patients improve their scores from zero enough to be able to do like IUI or something. Um, thank you so much. Bye. I am so
0: sorry you are going through this. It can be very confusing and it can be really hard, especially to get news that potentially could be extremely impactful. This is called a where there is no modal sperm. Importantly, there's a couple things to know. Is this absolute, there's absolutely zero moving sperm or is it virtual? Meaning on first look, there's not many. What this means is when you give me a sperm sample, and I look under the microscope, do I see any moving sperm? The answer is going to be no in both of these questions. When I centrifuge it down and then look under a high-powered microscope, I'm getting a very concentrated sample. Is there some movement? Are there twitchers? Are there a couple sperm moving? Or is no sperm moving at all? No sperm moving at all is absolute. Virtual is there's a couple or there's something. And those actually have really big differences. So if I take patients to IVF and you have absolute as spermia, no movement, you only have a 10% chance of having fertilization with ICSI. When I take one of those non modal sperm and put it into an egg, still there's a low chance that it'll fertilize. However, in patients with virtual, I have a 60% chance of fertilization. So those are hugely different numbers. So understanding the difference is important. Number two, okay, well, what can cause this, right? Okay, so sometimes it can be dead sperm. Dead sperm don't move. So you could have dead sperm from a really prolonged abstinence window. So if there hasn't been ejaculation in a long time. It can back up to be very dead sperm. And so that's why we would want to repeat a semen analysis after a closer ejaculation interval. Other things, you know, prior infections or current infections, you often will see other cells in the ejaculate that might show inflammation. You might do a course of antibiotics or anti-inflammatories and repeat it. Things like Age, like eventually the testes do stop making. So if your partner is significantly older, that could be part of it. Testicular cancer. So if there's any masses, 100%, that needs to be known or checked out. Exposure to certain toxins, especially drugs like chronic marijuana use that can actually decrease sperm production or change how the testes are made. Things like anabolic steroids, as we said before, can damage the testes so they don't produce moving sperm anymore. And then also Things such as genetic diseases, such as something called Cartagener syndrome. And this is where your cilia don't work, so things can't move because cilia is important and having sperm move. And if you don't have the protein that's important in that, then you're not going to have modal sperm. That's also really important just to talk about the conditions of the sample. You know, was it taken within the appropriate time from when you dropped it off? Did it sit in the car for a long time? Did it sit in the fridge? Was there spermicide use or some type of lubricant? Those things can actually really impact what we see from the sperm as well. So I would always say, hey, I wanna repeat this. I want to centrifuge it down and know if I have absolute or virtual. I want to get somebody evaluated by a urologist who specializes in this to make sure there's no signs of testicular damage, infection, mass, something that could be contributing. And then ultimately what we're trying to decide is, is doing a sperm extraction test, going in to extract the sperm, going to give us a high enough quality of sperm to do IVF with ICSI. Potentially, if this was situational like a really prolonged abstinence interval or something about the collection of the sample to dropping it off that caused this then yes maybe it will be normal or improved and you can do IUI but in the vast majority of these causes having no sperm moving is a very big deal and we need to start preparing for IVF with ICSI or donor sperm if we're not wanting to do IVF so that's hard news. All right y'all I really love sharing all of these questions Do you like these episodes? Should we do them more frequently than every quarter? You definitely leave a lot of voicemails so we could do them every month. Let us know what you like and what we should do here. These particular questions are left on the voicemail. So if you have your own question, this is a great way to get them answered. You can call 657-229-3672. That is the voicemail phone number, and that's going to allow us to hear your question and answer it. Also, every week in other episodes, I typically answer, for fertility's sake, our weekly Q&A segment. You can leave your fertility questions on my Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD every Monday. Some of those questions will be answered on Instagram, some of them here on the weekly podcast, and some of them in that newsletter. Again, the newsletter is where you will find fertility in the news nataliecrawfordmd.com slash newsletter. will get you signed up for that. Thank you all for submitting all of these questions and keep them coming. I appreciate you so much. Thanks, friends. Thank you all for listening to As a Woman. It would mean so much if you could rate, review, and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every Sunday. I hope you learned something new and I hope you share it with someone in your life. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD and check out the YouTube channel Natalie Crawford MD. If you're interested in becoming a patient, you can also follow Fora Fertility. I'm so thrilled to have you here, part of the community that amplifies others as a woman.
2: Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on.